0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again today on the program. I trust you were tuning in last week as we began to break some new ground. Uh, And we're going to continue trying to break some new ground again this week. But last week we were sharing with you from the book of Revelation, and we've been continuing to unpack and develop this from the book of Revelation, and I trust that you're tuning in every week. Uh, if you have missed some of the programs and you want to go back or you saw something last week you said, boy, I wish I could go back and take another look at that, you can do it. It is archived on YouTube. You just simply go to my website, and there's a link that will take you directly to our YouTube channel. You can actually subscribe to our YouTube channel, and everything we have aired to date is there for your viewing pleasure anytime you'd like to to view them. Uh, we also have uh, a, uh, a iTunes on iTunes. You can, you can get our podcast, you can sign up for that, get the audio. It's a great way to, I believe, redeem time when you're driving to and from work and you can just listen to us and, and hear the audio of this over and over and over again because I'm saying so much in 30-minute segments, it is very, very difficult to teach the book of Revelation in 30-minute segments and do it once a week. So uh, I trust you're tuning in every week, and we have, uh, you know, we considered, you know, maybe not continuing this, but your response to us has been so overwhelmingly positive that we've decided to continue to do this, and uh, we really felt pressed in the spirit that we're in a season where people need to know that there is an alternative to a lot of the fear stuff that's out there. Uh, You know, I preach a winning Jesus. I I hope that doesn't offend you, and it should not offend you. But I preach a great big God who is able uh, to keep us. One of the things that we began to share last week, let me just dive back in the Word of God. One of the things we began to share last week was, as we begin to uh, unlock these four horses of the apocalypse in the book of Revelation, and especially in chapter 4, where there are four beasts that say, come and see let me go back and read the text again and uh and and and, uh that'll help us to set the stage it says and i saw a lamb this is chapter 6 revelation when he had opened the seals one of the seals i heard as it were the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying come and see and i saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword." And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And behold, a low black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand, and heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. I'm sorry. Well, I looked, and behold... uh, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I behold, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, see thou hurt not the only wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, and with death. And with the beast of the earth, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, I want to come back again and tell you that before he ever releases any of these things of the four horses of the apocalypse, and what it looks like is apparent here in these four horses is it looks like death and hell are imminent. It looks like there's famine. A measure of wheat for a penny. Uh, three measures of barley. Uh, he talks about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the sword was released. And there was war. And all of these things were about to take place. Now, I believe that once again, there are four faces of the living creature that are saying, come and see. And I put on the chart last week, and I'm going to come back again and touch it just to get a bit again, but in, first of all, according especially to Adam Clark, and almost every scholar agrees that these four faces of the living creatures represent the four Gospels. Uh, one of them represents, uh, let's see, I'll just start over here. The eagle represents the Gospel according to John. Uh, the calf represents the Gospel according to Luke, because you see Jesus as the servant, the burden bearer the sacrificial uh, animal, if you will. In and, and the book of John, you see him as the eagle, the one who comes forth uh, to conquer. And uh, in, Ju- in, 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 the, in the gospel of Mark, you see him represented as the kingly lion, the son of David. And he is a, uh, he's represented as the lion lion of the tribe of Judah, and in, in the uh, book of Matthew, you see him uh, represented as uh, the man. And uh, what, what I begin to see is these four faces of a living creature. Before I even unpack any of the rest of it, these four gospels, if you could hear it like this, these four gospels are saying, come and see. Now, let me say to you that, that, that every gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, All of them have an Olivet Discourse. You say, what is that? That's the the most prolific, famous prophecy that Jesus ever gave concerning the time of the end. Let me make that clear. We, We say things like the end of time, but that's not a biblical terminology. The Bible does not talk about the end of time. It talks about the time of the end. And I'm going to unpack this as we keep on going through this, but I'm going to show you that the time of the end is not the time of the end of the world in the sense of a global situation, but the Greek word for world is age, eon. So the time of the end of the age, and I'm going to show you, as we continue to unpack this, some timelines to show you exactly the words of Jesus, and I think bring a very strong argument to the fact that these catastrophes are not in your future, they are in your past. Now that ought to be good news to somebody. But I want to say to you that the Gospel of John is the only that does not have the Olivet Discourse. That's where Jesus is talking about when will these things be? Will it be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And he talks about there'll come wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. They're going to deliver you up to be killed. There's going to be, uh, uh, you know, catastrophes that are just like what you just read in Revelation, the sixth chapter that happened under these four horses of the apocalypse. These four beasts are saying, come and see. Uh, the reason I believe that John, the Apostle John, does not have an Olivet Discourse, which again is the Matthew 24 segment that everybody uses to teach, you know, tribulation, into the world stuff, all of that stuff. Uh, John's gospel is the only one that does not have that in there. Now, I find that interesting. But here's what I believe with everything that's hit me. I believe that the book of Revelation that was penned by John is an expanded version of the Olivet Discourse. I believe John is actually explaining to you what happened, when it happened, and see the whole key note to me is not just the fact uh, that it was going to occur, but uh, the song that these living creatures sing in the fifth chapter is, You've Redeemed Us. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And so the real emphasis here to me is not just the fact that there's coming catastrophes, and they did come historically. I'm going to read you some stuff out of Josephus and Eusebius and some of the historians that show you that everything Jesus prophesied would happen in that generation, in fact, did happen in that generation. Jesus said in Matthew 24, after he talks about wars, rumors of wars, uh, they'll deliver you up to be killed. Uh, there'll be famines and earthquakes, and, and uh, then there'll be tribulation such as was not since the world began. And uh, not one stone is going to be left on another here. It's not going to be thrown down. Jesus stops in the middle of that, in Matthew 24, verse 34, and he says, I tell you truth, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, this generation generation standing right here will not pass away to all these things are fulfilled. Now, what a lot of prophecy teachers do is try to twist that and hang that somewhere out in the distant future uh, and say, well, Jesus meant the generation alive whenever you know uh, all these things occur. Uh, that's going to be the terminal generation. But see, there's no other place, uh, there's no gaps, no gimmicks. I, I, what you're going to watch is, as I teach this is I'm going to show you a timeline with no gaps, no gimmicks, no parentheses theory, no additives, no USA Today, no CNN, no Fox News to interpret it, just the Bible interpreting itself and show you that Jesus, in fact, prophesied a word that did come to pass. As a matter of fact, so many liberals try to discredit the word of God based on the fact uh, that uh, they say that Jesus did not, uh, uh, Jesus' prophecy did not come to pass in that generation. And I would say to you, and we'll get again some of these scriptures and bring them out so you can write them down, but he says to some of them, uh, not only in that text, He says to some of them uh, when he's talking about uh, the destruction coming to uh, Israel, and and in the context of those things, he says to them, there are some of you standing here that will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He tells Caiaphas, he said, and from henceforth, he's talking to Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He talks about John the Revelator, says, what will you if John tarries till I come? In light of what I'm sharing with you, uh, those things, in fact, occur just like Jesus said they would in the time slot that he said they would happen. And so we're going to look at a lot of those scriptures. But let me just suffice to say that, uh, that what he's simply saying again here is that these four beasts are saying, come and see. So, so uh, I, I believe the Gospel of John, which is the only one that does not have the Olivet Discourse, I believe the book of Revelation is his Olivet Discourse as he begins to explain in vivid details the fulfillment of the prophecies that Jesus gave and uh, the disciples knew and understood would occur even in their generation. It is interesting to me even when you open the book of Revelation that he will say these things are about to shortly come to pass. Uh, They which pierce me will look upon me. Uh, He tells Daniel in the book of Daniel, seal up the words of this prophecy and go your way daniel until the time of the end and you will stand in your lot in the latter days he tells daniel to seal up his vision and prophecy but when you get to the end of the book of revelation he tells john don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand when i begin to really discover that there was an alternative view to some of the stuff i was taught i begin to see such incredible evidence to the uh confirmation of this view, that it brought such relief to me that this is not for the believer coming catastrophes. It's what is happening. Uh, it, it, it is what we've been redeemed from. So I'm going to continue to share this twofold view of the book of Revelation because I believe that it is first of all redemptive. It is what the death of Jesus, And the death of this lamb has redeemed us from, that's what he gave birth to, but also I'm going to show you there is a historic view of the book of Revelation where we see many of these things, if not all of them in the book of Revelation, that are not in your future, they are in your past. That would be, I don't know to me why that would not be exciting to people. Just the possibility that you might have a future would just resonate with me and say, hey, what if all this stuff they're telling us is about to come to pass is, Not in our future at all. It is in our history, and that we could, you know, literally be standing in a day when God wants to unfold His kingdom. I'm going to tell you, I see a horse rider coming out that went forth conquering and to conquer. Jesus is going to win this. We say things like, when we get to the book of Revelation, I've read the last chapter of the book and we win. But the truth of it is, the way we preach it, we don't win. I think it's powerful that when we understand the truth of it, we really do win. Also, I wanted to show you that not only does those four faces of the living creature deal with the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they were the four innermost tribes of the children of Israel when the camp was at rest. On each one of these, Judah was the, was the banner of the lion. On the tribe of Reuben was the, uh, was the banner of the lion of a man. Over the tribe of Ephraim was the symbol of an ox, or the banner of an ox, and over the tribe of Dan was the symbol of the eagle. Now, what that says to me is that uh, this is so multi-layered that when the camp was at rest, and uh, according to, uh, according to, Numbers chapter 2 verse 1 through 2, it tells you where these order the camp was when it was at rest. When the camp was at rest, they were facing the tabernacle, facing its furniture, and they were camped in the shape of a cross. To me, one of the big motivators to me in preaching uh, eschatology and this kind of thing is not to be controversial, but to show you that the eschatology of grace has to fit. In other words, if we're preaching God is not angry, We can't just have him not being angry for the next four or five years, and then he's really balling on the back burner and about to blow up. What we've got to do is show you that these things things are uh, uh, because of the work of the cross. We can sing the song of redemption where we're not talking about this is coming to believers. God has redeemed us from wrath, and he has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain eternal redemption. I think that's powerful. And so when I saw these tribes, uh, the four innermost tribes again of the children of Israel with their four sides, they were camped with their faces towards the tabernacle. Everything was in the shape of the cross so that when the cross is in focus, that's the only way you can rest. And once again, I shared with you last uh, program that when these camps were at rest, they faced towards the tabernacle and had their backs exposed to their enemies and I said, God, why would you have your people camp with their backs exposed to their enemies And the Lord said to me to tell my people that if they'll keep their focus on the finished work of Jesus Christ if they'll keep their work their, their focus on the blood and on the water baptism and on the anointing and on the incense and the praise and you'll keep your focus on the tabernacle with all of its furniture in the shape of a cross if you you keep your focus on the cross god's got your back hallelujah there's probably somebody listening to me right now and even if you're not even getting all the points i'm saying about this eschatologically i want you to know god's got your back if you'll just put your focus on the cross not only did God have their back, but these tribes could see over top of their back. These tribes could see over top of their back. And as one holy nation, when we quit fighting each other and we start beating our swords and weapons into plowshares, what we're going to do is have each other's back. And, oh, God, help us get to the place where instead of attacking each other, uh, we, we, we have each other's back. That's why even my posture in teaching eschatology is not to fight anybody else. I I, I respect people who've uh, studied other views of this. I have too. And I respect their uh, hours of of work. I have just come to a conclusion that this is truth to me, and I'm just putting it out there so that you can either receive it or reject it, but love us anyway and stay with us because sooner or later we're going to move on from this anyway. But to me, this is incredibly, incredibly good news. And one of the things that I really began to see was that, you know, when you start. To, when you start to look at these um, uh, again, uh, camps, each one of these not only had uh, uh, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as a symbol—the man, the ox, the eagle, and the lion—but the four tribes of uh, Judah, Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan had the four symbols as well. Also, the four centermost signs of the twelve signs of the zodiac had that had had that same exact. They were arranged the same way. The lion. And then Aquarius, and then uh, Taurus the bull, and then Scorpion, which was in the days of Abraham, symbolized as the eagle. My source for that, we, don't really, we haven't done a lot of teaching on, on that because it, I, I just haven't done a lot of teaching on it. But I can tell you there's a lot of books. I'm not the only one who's ever looked at some of this. Uh, E.W. Bullinger has a book called, I think, Witness of the Stars. Uh, uh, James Kennedy has a book out on it. Uh, Marilyn Hickey wrote one. Uh, These are not weird things to look at because the scripture is full of where it talks about. uh, For instance, in the book of Job, it says, Can you loose the band of Orion? Uh, The band of Orion was the seven stars that was in the constellation of Taurus. Uh, I I believe it has a direct correspondence, again, to the book of Revelation. And we'll see in just a moment what I mean by that. Uh, He says, Can you Loose the band of Orion. Can you bring forth? Bind the sweet influence of Pleiades. Canst thou guide Arcturus and his sons? Do you know the ordinance of the heavens, and can you set their dominion in the earth? God was saying to them that there's a message written in the heavens that long before there was ever holy rift. God wrote His plan in the stars, so that Psalm 19 says, "The heavens declare; night unto night they utter speech, and there is no place where their voice." is not heard. And when John sees this, he sees uh, uh, from the heavenly view, he sees even these signs of the zodiac. Actually, the, the let me just read something from my notes that I wrote in here in my notes that make it just easier, quicker. It says, the four horses of the apocalypse, the arrangement of the twelve tribes of Israel around the tabernacle correspond to the order of the zodiac. And like the cherubim of the of the four uh, tribes represented the middle signs of each quarter. Judah was the lion, Reuben the man, Ephraim the bull, and Dan the eagle. In Revelation chapter 4, St. John lists them backwards probably because he is viewing them from above in the heaven rather than below on the earth. But when he uses them in the structure of his prophecy itself, he lists them in the direct order of their seasons. After the preamble, which is the beginning of the book of Revelation, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. It's divided into four quarters. The book of Revelation is divided into four quarters. Each one is ruled by one of these creatures. Uh, the first chapter uh, through, uh, it says, after the, the, uh, chapter 1 of Revelation is divided into four quarters, each ruled by one of these creatures. The first quarter, chapters 2 through 3, are ruled by Taurus. Thus the emphasis is on the seven stars on the shoulder of the bull and the seven stars were in his right hand, the seven churches. Uh, then he goes, the second quarter is chapter 4 through 7 and is ruled by the figure of the line of true, of the tribe of Judah because it's shown you he has conquered to open the sealed book. The eagle is is chapter 8 through 14, and what he shows is he shows uh, an eagle in the mid-heaven crying, Woe, woe, woe. In the third quarter, there are wrath and vows of judgment that are, that are being poured out under the sign of the eagle through these chapters, chapters uh, 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 let's see, chapter 14 through 22 is governed by the man and it is uh, the sign of Aquarius with the water being poured out and, and you see in the fourth, the latter part of the book of Revelation, there are vials of wrath that are being poured out. It is the pouring out. It is the up-dumping of the water. And also you see in that, you see Aquarius pouring out of the chalices of wrath and the river of life flowing out of the throne of God. It is, uh, again, I believe, correspondent to Aquarius standing with his bucket up-dumped, saying, In the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. So, I mean, to me, it is so Powerfully connected from every direction that God is speaking to us, that these things that we're about to see uh, are saying, Come and see, everything about them is trying to get your focus on this lamb and on this redemptive work of Christ so that whether it is wars, famines, earthquakes, death and hell about to break loose, delivering you up to be killed, what God is saying is you can sing the song of redemption and you can sing a new song saying you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. Because when I take a look at this and I think, man, there are plagues being poured out, Uh, the first beast I see like a lion is saying, but I'm going to tell you something, the lion out of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. He's he's the one that has already won the victory for us. He went forth conquering and to conquer. Hallelujah. And so we can stand in a place, I believe, of confidence. I believe we can know that even as Jesus stood in Matthew 24, and he said to his disciples, there will be great tribulation such as was not since the world began. And he prophesies again, these wars and these famines, and they'll deliver you up to be killed, and and uh, the gospel of the king to be preached in all the world for a witness, and then the end will come, and then uh, he he goes on down through those things, and it'll be great tribulation such as it was not, and then he begins to declare to them, but when you see Jerusalem encompassed about with armies, you'll know that it's time to get out of dodge, so to speak. If for some unknown reason the Roman general Uh, Titus backed up his troops in 66 A.D. just long enough. And when I believe the believers that heard the prophecy of Jesus, applied it to the relevance of their day, said this is the sign that Jesus our Messiah told us of, they packed up and left there and many of them fled to Pella where there was not one believer that died in the siege of Jerusalem. Because you've got to connect this, Matthew 24, with the context of what Jesus is preaching when he says to them, uh, He says to them, Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be thrown down. Uh, He was talking in direct connection with that temple. So, whether they are wars or famines or any of these other things, I have to say this if I think about famine, uh, there's a beast like a calf that says, Come and see. And what this beast is trying to get you to see is, is this beast, if he represents the tribe of Ephraim, it is interesting to me that Ephraim was born in Egypt during the time of a great famine, hallelujah, by uh, Joseph, who's a great picture of Jesus Christ, who's able to sustain us in the day of famine. And so what uh, I believe this beast is trying to get you to see is that even though there may be a measure of wheat for a penny, and it looks like there's famine everywhere, I need you to understand that if you'll focus on Ephraim, uh, hallelujah, Ephraim's name means I'm going to make you doubly fruitful. What God is saying is I can make you doubly fruitful even when the economy's bad. I can make you doubly fruitful even in a strange land. Behind him was the camp of Manasseh, which means the Lord will cause me to forget all the hurt of my past. And then behind him was Benjamin, whose name means he's the son of my right hand. Can you hear these beasts saying, come and see? In other words, you've been delivered from famine, and if God could deliver you in Egypt, he can deliver you in the future. When you see all of these things come to pass, when you start seeing judgments come, you'll see uh, Dan, uh, the eagle, stand up. And you, even in the midst of that, you'll realize that Dan's name means judgment, and what he's trying to get you to focus on is your judgment as a believer is not in your future. Your judgment is in your past. When you focus on the cross and Jesus, it's not in the future. And then behind him is a tribe named Asher, which means happy. And when you realize that Jesus was your sacrifice and your judgment, it'll make you happy. And behind him was a tribe by the the name of Naphtali, which means obtained by wrestling. And what that will do is make you realize that the wrestling of Jesus and the struggle he went through was to redeem you from war, famine, pestilence, and all these things. When you hear, uh, you know, when you when you look around and you see uh, there's some other things that begin to break forth there that you see people in total catastrophes, he wants you to point towards Reuben and say, behold, a sun comes. That's what Reuben's name means. Get your vision on the sun. And if you get your vision on the sun, uh, then right behind him is a called Simeon, then the Lord will cause you to hear and be able to receive. And then you understand behind him is a a, a tribe by the name of Gad, which means a troop comes. That God will give his angels charge concerning you and keep you in all his ways. When you hear these things happening, you can look towards Judah and hear the lion of the tribe of Judah roar. And you can hear him say, I've got the victory. I'm the one that's won it. Uh, You can hear right behind him was Issachar, which means reward. Jesus is our rear guard, and he is our reward. And Zebulun, which means he not only did all this for me, but he is my habitation. Zebulun means the habitation of God, so that everything this lion is is not just out there somewhere as an enigma, but everything it is lives in me. I'm trying to get you to sing the song of redemption and see that whether uh, even I'm right about these things historically and when they occurred, I'm telling you, regardless of whether I'm right on the dates or not, God wants you to know that the song of redemption is what he's singing. This This is not what's coming to believers. This is what you've been redeemed from. Thank you for joining us again this week. Take a moment to write to us. I trust, I know I'm packing a lot in this, but I hope you're getting my points as we share these things. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. We need your help to continue to preach like this. If you like what you're hearing, get behind the gospel and support it. Go to our website. You can give online uh, via credit card. You can also call the number on the screen. Uh, We do deeply appreciate you. Share it with your friends about what you're hearing if you're enjoying us. And uh, tune in again every week and follow us as we continue to unpack these profound truths from the book of Revelation. God bless you is our prayer. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, This book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.